0: A really basic thing is to, to see where you spend your time. <laughs> like, there's a thing called the, the Eisenhower Matrix, and many of the many of your audience I know that fine, sharp, really well informed, well educated people, and they would probably know the Eisenhower Matrix. But to get to the point, you know, it's. The time frame that you have to work in and the importance you place on things so there could be something really important and you've got to get stuck into it right now or there's something that's really important and that's visionary and down the line.
1: Hello and welcome to the prepare like a pro podcast make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my youtube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview I hope you enjoyed this interview, and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go!
2: Hello, and welcome back to the High Performance Podcast for AFL staff and athletes, sponsored by Papelica Pro. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host, and today I'm lucky enough to have Glenn Stewart as our guest. Our key topic for today's chat will be all around building system skills and critical thinking to unlock high performance. So, whether you're an athlete. Tuning in or a high performance coach, make sure to get the notepad out as there's going to be plenty of gems throughout the whole show. And, and feel free to, if you're tuning in live, to send through some questions. I'm sure we'll find some time uh, at the end uh, of my questions to, to answer all your questions. But thanks for tuning in, Glenn. Really looking forward to the chat, mate. Uh,
0: thank you for the invitation. I, I feel somewhat honored, Jack, to be on Prepare Like a Pro. So I really appreciate the invite. So hopefully, It'll be of benefit, of to someone somewhere. So, like
2: hundred percent. Well, if it's anything like your asker presentation made, uh, I think we're going in great stall for yeah, some some great advice, practical advice, but also speaking from a wealth of experience. So, yeah, really looking forward to it on a personal level, and no doubt listeners are as well. I'm also got no doubt that those listening in will have a fair idea of your background Glenn, being a performance manager at West Coast Eagles for over 20 years that there's not many other people that I'm aware of that have been at one club at the highest level for, for that long. But do you mind providing a background for those maybe international listeners or perhaps the uh, young athletes listening in that haven't heard of your uh, background, where, where it all started, your passion for the industry and you know, everything you had to do to uh, get, get to that highest level the high performance manager role?
0: Yep, thanks. So I wish I could say that I started there as a five-year-old so I wouldn't necessarily give away my work in... Duration. Look, in some sort of chronological order, uh, I, I guess I'm a. My background is I'm a phys ed teacher, a secondary school phys ed teacher. I am a graduate from the University of WA. I did my master's degree there. At, at the time, it was called phys ed, then did a dip ed and then went straight into, straight into teaching. My actual sporting background is track and field. So I, I was an athlete. I chose my parents very wisely. So I was gifted with an abundance of fast-twitch fibers. And that resulted in me being a 100-meter sprinter and a long jumper. And I was lucky enough to be able to represent Australia in the long jump. Unfortunately, my enthusiasm for the sport probably led me path after overtraining and I had three successive particular stress fractures. Now, not that that's particularly interesting for your audience, but in fact, it hastened my retirement because I couldn't do what I wanted to do, and I just jumped straight into coaching side. So that was the pathway to coaching, and I had an athletics or track and field squad. I had some really gifted athletes in there, some really talented people who went on and represented a nation in the Olympics and Commonwealth games and World Cup. The, the athletics aspect led me into footy. I always followed footy. I played footy as a junior. And I ended up being fitness coach at one of the waffle clubs here, South Romano Footy Club. And then that in turn was the door that opened to West Coast. So eventually I gave up teaching. I had to move from South, gave up athletics coaching and, and went to West Coast full time. So I've actually been there 30 years, probably all up. I'm now retired. I retired at the end of but five years as their strength conditioning coach and then 25 years of the high performance manager. So that sort of is the background. And now, Jack, rather than just sit out in the backyard, I've I, I sort of set up my own very small consultancy business and I work with a number of other teams in different sports, different organizations, different coaches. I'm really into coach development. And so I end up with quite a bit of other work to do now which I which I really enjoy because my purpose is genuinely to help others. So I try and use the experiences and knowledge that I have to to enable people to really enjoy their role in whatever sport they're in. So that's sort of taken me up to up to this point.
3: Hi that My name is Rama, and I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I don't think I've ever delved into a piece of Prepare Like a Pro content without feeling absolutely inspired to not only be a better coach, but a better athlete and a better person. With Prepare Like a Pro, I have instantaneous access to a world of in-depth knowledge and expertise from not only Jack McLean himself, but a range of other strength and conditioning coaches, doctors, physios, dieticians, and a whole lot more. There really is nothing like this. And that is why I love being a part of the Prepare Like a Pro Academy community. Yeah, fantastic. Before going into, I guess, the influences
2: of your your philosophy on that, the current role that you're in, the consulting, what would be some of the key sort of pain points or, or challenges that practitioners are bringing to you? Is there, is there a trend there or is it, there's a huge role in sports?
0: Well. I've been an employee all my life and and just had my salary lobbing to the bank and then tax taken out. I don't think I could be a consultant if it was my full-time job uh, and it was necessary to keep the business going because I find that I'm not a marketer and I'm, I'm not into that sort of thing. But if you needed to market yourself, they, it, it, I find that hard and so I'm glad i have retired and it's just I can cherry-pick what I want to do. But if it was a full-time, necessary piece of your life that you were consultant, I think it's hard. I actually think it's a, it's a tough job. You've got to be good at what you do, and then you've got to be the first name on everyone's lips when whatever you do comes up. And, and, I, and I think that's, that's pretty hard to, to get to that point. Your career,
2: so strong influences, whether it be from the track and field days or phys ed days, yeah, doing ep- these, yeah. yeah, there have been some strong influences
0: over your career that... Oh, yeah. So I, I, think, I think if I was to look back, I've always been a numbers and data man, numbers and data, and... Really relied on that technical side, so I think very, very early in my career, both as an athlete, as a track and field coach, and then my early days at West Coast, I, I was really data driven. And then there was probably a pivot point, brought in some guys to help John Warfield at the time who was coaching, and, and also that the playing group and the staff really get an enormous amount of clarity around. Culture and a high performance environment. So one of those guys, a gentleman called Professor John Edwards. He was a New Zealander. He he is a deep thinker. He was the researcher for for quite a unique book called Edward De who who you know was an author of a, of a couple of books, the like, have being lateral thinking. And he had an enormous influence on me because he actually changed the way that I thought about things. And his colleague Steve Stanley, they, they sort of pivoted me away from just being up numbers and sports science being really technically based to thinking about thinking. And that's been a really important point, uh, and, and, and you know, generally the topic of, of why we're here today, I guess, because I do think more thinking. and that in turn has really helped me help coaches, which is get them to think in it in slightly different ways. Then probably when I first started at the Eagles, a fitness coach then at the time was Professor Brian Dawson from the University of WA, who was a pioneer in the world of sports science in AFL and probably in the world, arguably. He really did a lot in environmental physiology, time and motion analysis. But because he'd been at the club for a number of years and I was stepping in from being a phys ed teacher. It really influenced the way I worked in a footy club and the, the key things there. And, and I owe him a great deal of thanks. And then I probably I, I probably think John Worswold, who would probably smile at me suggesting that, but John Worswold was a player at South Fremantle where I was a fitness coach there. He was then a player at the Eagles where I was the strength and conditioning coach there. And then he was the coach when I was his high performance manager. So I had a long period of time with John Warsworth who's a very intelligent, uh, clear-thinking guy who who puts a lot of things in the line. And I, I think working with him for over a large number of years, I think he had a, a great influence on how I went about my things. So I'd probably say that, that group of people, Jack.
2: Yeah, that's a great insight and story, I guess, into you never know who you're going to be. Where the people you're working with now, whether be young S and Cs, maybe someone interning somewhere, where it might lead to, and 20 years later down the tracks So how important the relationship. So yeah, yeah that's a great, great list of, of people that have helped shape your thinking, and it, it sounds like it'd be a great sort of segue for our um, discussion. I guess to to kick it off, why do you think there? You're probably you're definitely not alone in terms of the data driven approach. That's something that we do pride ourselves in terms of being objective when we can, and there's obviously some strengths to that, but what was your sort of shift? What were some of the, the key reasons why you wanted to, to think to more, yeah, more of a systems social thinking and clear thinking approach and, and move away from the technical side?
0: Well, I think I there's think a number of little tangents to that. I think the first is we, we have to understand that it's forgotten a lot. It's played by people, it's coached by people, it's umpired and refereed by people, it's managed by people, it's administered by people. It's viewed by people, it's criticised, and the media have roles by people. You would be really good at dealing with people. Like, if you're going to be in high-performance sport, you've got to understand that the sport is embedded within working with people. And data is data, and it's inanimate, but we've got to be able to take the data and then influence people. So I think the, the, the way that I changed from data was, was more focusing on how, how can I lead as a high performance manager, how can I lead, how can I relate to, and how, how can I build relationships with people in such a way I can have influence and get to understand what they're thinking, not, not so much what I think. But what are they thinking? And I think that's been really the element of where I've changed a little bit, and then using data and evidence to help persuade and influence them, or yeah. using data and evidence to help persuade me. So it becomes a tool, becomes a tool, and it—it's not the building. It's not—it's not the end product. It's—it's it's how can we use it to a yeah, elite performance or high performance or whatever our goals are it's 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 using data and evidence in, in, in a way that helps us work with people and that's my premise and I appreciate people who may not agree with that but I've certainly found at the pivot point it changed my ability to to lead and manage and I, I really feel it's had a positive impact and every time I interact with people and you know if I do my coach development stuff now, and I finish with, I'm like, I mean, generally the consensus is like, yeah, thanks. That's really handy. We really can think differently now.
2: So, yeah, thanks, That's It's it's a, so it it sounds like the it's not like the objectivity goes away. Is is still that's still working in the background, but you're prioritizing, getting a better understanding of who's in front of you, the athletes, and, and yeah, like you said, trying to get a better understanding of what they're thinking, and then the data comes in in terms of decision making to you know, influence. Yeah.
0: That's a fair. That's a fair summary. <clears throat>
2: yeah. Over your experience in in, in that, does that mean that you're sort of delegating some of the the data collection or the, the monitoring, perhaps to other staff members, so you can sort of focus on more the, the human side, or is it or is it more just a an awareness thing?
0: I, I think I'm a bit delegated. I have enormous trust in the people that work around me and or that did work around me. And partly because, i would have to say, at the end of the day, I appointed them, I was involved in their appointment, I, I I trust people, most of the people, 99% of the staff and players and those that I've engaged with, they're fantastic and you back them in. And where they're not, they don't do things deliberately, they just human errors. I mean, we're just, we're human. So, you know, we have enormous blind spots, particularly about ourselves, and so, what in, in those instances we need to guide and lead. So yeah, I delegate because I, I, I trusted people. But more importantly, and I think this is where a lot of people probably need to think a bit more clearly, is that you always have to have the big picture in mind. You always have to have, what are we, what are we actually trying to do? Because we get so caught up In the minutia, we get so caught up in the uh, 100 meters or 150 meters, but someone needs to be one out and one back and say, "Well, how does all this sit in the big picture?" And I felt that was my role, and I still see it as my role, especially when I work with coaches now, which is, you know, like, hang on, what are you trying to do, and why are you doing that if you're actually trying to get that? it's it's we only have a certain amount of time. You've got to actually stand back and keep the big picture in mind and then work with others to get some of that underpinning grunt work that just has to be done. So that's sort of been my model. Jack, rightly or wrongly, it works for me. And I think if you were to to chat to people, or hopefully if you were to chat to people around me, they, they would enjoy having the responsibility of having their role and not being micromanaged, but being led guided and you know directed so absolutely no that makes makes a lot of sense like you said it's almost
2: empowering those that you've appointed to, to do their jobs and and ultimately help the program be the best they can by bringing lots of brains uh into the equation rather than just relying on the one going back to your career for a second highlights over over that sort of 30-year campaign what sort of spring front of mind that you're most proud of
0: well obviously premiership so i've been incredibly lucky that I've been at the club for all the Eagles at for all their four Premierships and beat around the bush but we're there to win footy games and we're there to to win flags and we want to engender joy in all the population that follow the West Coast Eagles and we do that by being successful so the four premierships, and, and, and 23 final series have really been a highlight because that's what I was in point for. I think in particular the 2018 premiership was an absolute cracker and it's, ever, it's going to be hard to it's ever place that. Yeah, like, yeah. It, you know, it was it was an iconic sporting moment in history that a grand final unfolded the way it did. And, you know, you have, I call it the immaculate chain for McGovern to Vardy, to Ryan, to Shea, to kick a goal. She kicks a goal, and then the Eagles have to defend like hell against a really top-notch Collingwood team. And to be on the bench, which was my role at the club on game day, that was fantastic. From a personal personal viewpoint, I think representing Australia in a long jump is probably hard to beat as highlight. Like I was really, I was really lucky, and you know, he had a few things for your way. And, and I think, in a strange way, being appointed to the fitness coach at South Fremantle Football Club. That was sort of the they got the thing that got the ball rolling, and interestingly, I'm, I've just been engaged back there to work on I mean, their culture and on their culture and leadership. So I've done a full circle. So it, it's it's been that that was a highlight because he opened the door to the rest of what I've been able to do in my career. You're at a footy club now that 2018 Grand Final. That'll
2: be pretty hard to beat. Those times of the West Coast, there was some yeah some great. Years that you can remember, like some of the Sydney West Coast jewels going through that that era, and then obviously that clutch goal by Dom Sheet I can't imagine being on the bench. What that would feel like. So yeah, yeah pretty sh- special experience to be be in that sort of opportunity and amongst that the celebration sort of being huge, no doubt. And then being able to put on the Australian colours and, and represent the country as well. So a couple of big, couple of big significant highlights there, mate. And on the flip side, obviously with elite sport comes pressure. What were some of the most significant challenges? that you faced every career and how did you learn or what did you sort of grow through facing those challenges?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, when I get asked, or well, when, when I present, <coughs> pardon me, I'm going to work with teams that I think we have to understand what actually high performance is. Like, what, what is it? What is high performance sport? So, look, high performance sport is constant assessment uh, plus high pressure plus continual change plus unfairness marginal gains that that encapsulates high performance sport. So if you're not prepared to face change all the time, which is a challenge, the rules change. If you're not prepared to face constant pressure, you're on the east coast. But I'm sure you get the touch of the temperature over here in Perth around west coast now. Uh, I mean they're under an always constant media pressure, and if you think things are fair. They're never going to be fair. Like <laughs> elite sport and high-performance sport is just not fair. Uh, the AFL fixtures dictate that at the moment. I mean, you don't play every team twice. So all of that are challenges. So hey. you've got to go in and understand that these are the things, if you aspire to high-performance sport, you're going to be challenged regularly. So expect it that without... Uh, sorry, to answer your question one of the challenges the greatest challenge is just being in lead sport but on, on, on other levels to be a little more specific, I think holding your ground and sticking to your beliefs and your and, and your views when you're the lone voice I think is a challenge you know at, at, and then being insightful enough to change your view when enough evidence is presented to, for you to realize that maybe your view, is not as wholesome or, or, or is not as accurate as you had, but you've got to stick your ground. And I think that's a challenge, especially you know when, when you are a lone voice, but that's the role. I think having critical and difficult conversations with people, I've always found challenging, even though I've probably <laughs> had hundreds of them. It's still never easy because you, you're often having a conversation with someone and maybe relaying some information that they're not too keen on hearing. And we all like to be loved, and we all like to be perfect, and we all like to do things well. But as I alluded to before, we're humans and we don't. So sometimes you have to have those challenging conversations. I've always found found them challenging. You <laughs> so have that. And Probably the other challenge is aligning people. I'm really big on alignment. I can touch on this a bit later. One of the greatest downfalls of coaches and sporting teams is a lack of alignment. So we really need to have methods and and ways of aligning people so that we all we all know where we're going. As Jim Collins says, "From good to great," you know, you want everyone on the bus and they're all facing in the same direction. So it's always challenging aligning people because you always have so many different views, which is what what so I, th- I think sport itself is challenging, high performance, and then those three or four particular things for me are challenging. Thanks for that, mate. And the, yeah,
2: it's great for, I guess, those that haven't worked in elite sport yet to sort of get that insight. And I think that's a great. I haven't heard someone break down high performance sport in those sort of four key pillars, but it makes a lot of sense.
0: Well, well, Jack, in fact, like you change that. It doesn't have to be high performance sport. You could be a budding strength and conditioning coach and working with an under 16 team and you're still under constant assessment. I mean, you're still under some degree of pressure. The rules of the game, it's not going to be fair, and you still want to have some marginal gain. So it, although I use it for high-performance sport, it, it it does apply in any context, really. It's just the size of those particular ingredients that, that might be different. Uh, like you mentioned, you do some mentoring. What do you think sort of coaching
2: excellence looks like? What are what sort of the key areas that you think coaches want to... Uh, grasp early on in
0: their career, sort of the foundations, I guess, to be a great coach? The number one thing without any hesitation is it's not all about us. It's about the athletes we coach. So coaching excellence is a real clear understanding what our role and task is, which is to develop the potential or maximize the potential or the capability or the capacity of those people that are putting their faith in us. We we are endeavouring as coaches to do everything we can to make the, those people we're working with better. And we can fancy up the words, but better. So I think the number one thing about coaching excellence is understanding really clearly that our role is to bathe in the reflected glory of others. Like It's not about us. It's what can we do to help others be better. And I'm so grateful for the coaches that I've had and so grateful for the mentors that I've had because they've given up time uh, and effort to help me be as good as I can be. So that's that's coaching excellence. I I also think coaching excellence is about enabling people to really work to their capacity, their, their full capacity, but, but not sit on that but to also understand that we've got to incrementally increase that capacity so we we want we want to drive them to be fulfilling whatever capability and capacity they have when you're getting the definitions of those but but not to leave it at that but to have the school skills and tools to keep growing that capacity so I, I think that's coaching excellence, and we can get down to numbers and, and so on, but look, it's not the number of premierships you win or gold medals or the number of athletes you have in national teams because you've also got to have the talent to be able to do it. But it, it, it's how do you go about your craft and enabling your athletes to be the best they can be, and then in such a way that in 10 years' time they come back and say, hey, I can't thank you enough. You've you've done the best job I can for me, and I've worked so much. And I go away oh, a better person. I, I think that's what makes great coaches or high performing coaches. And that, uh, the topic we sort of discussed off air that was quite
2: relevant to this one in terms of system based thinking and sort of shifting away from whether you're a business owner or a high performance manager or, or even a leader of the, the football team. So it's probably applicable to anyone that's listening in from moving away from sort of controlling everything and, and trusting others and the, and the power that that can bring. For those, this thing how, how would you sort of recognise or what would be the, the key cues, I guess, for someone to re- maybe reflect on themselves and realise, oh, maybe I, I am controlling a bit too much and I need to delegate a little bit more and, and approach sort of the systems-based thinking?
0: Yeah, look, that's, inc- that's a, it's a, a really relevant and obviously a very important question, uh, Jack, and it's not an easy one to answer, so I'll, I'll see if I can work around it, and I, I think as I go, so I'll probably come up with a with, with a more definitive answer. So a really basic thing is to to see where you spend your time. <laughs> like there's a thing called the the Eisenhower Matrix, and many of the many of your audience I know that find your show. Um, Really well informed, well educated people, and they would probably know the Eisenhower matrix. But to get to the point, you know, uh, it's the time frame that you have to work in and the importance you place on things. So there could be something really important and you've got to get stuck into it right now, or there's something that's really important. And it's if you're always dealing with events, things that just take up your time that are very time consuming and not overly important. You you're you're not working at the highest level of, of your capacity. You're not working towards the big picture. So sometimes it's worthwhile just doing a time log. And and, and I've done that a few times just to double check myself. And I'm, I'm I'm absolutely gobsmacked at the amount of time I spend on email. Like I could I yeah. couldn't believe. Some email is important, but not all of it. And when someone sends you an email, I'm sure they don't expect you to get back to them within three minutes. So, you know, I was at, uh, doing some work down the track with the with the Diamonds netball team, and, you know, the assistant coach, I've used this example, is pumping up the netballs. Well, that's great because maybe there wasn't anyone else to do it, but is that what the assistant coach is for? You know? like that's therefore you need a system, a system in place so that that person, wherever where is, is working where they should be and not doing some of these other things. And it's not always possible because if you're the only strength conditioning coach with an under-18 football team, you probably have 300 jobs to do. But that's where you've got to have a system in place so that you can keep working on the really big ticket items. So that's one thing, maybe a time check. So the second thing is this is where I, I do feel the advantage of the mentor can, can be really beneficial. And- By that, I mean someone that you run stuff by, who observes that opportunity, who challenges you and says, why are you doing that? Isn't there a better way of doing that? Can you do this at another time? And again, and I've referred to this, we we have our own blind spots where we can't see some of the things about ourselves or how we operate with ourselves. So we need someone else to be our eyes. And then challenge the way that we do the way we operate in our own personal operating system. We need someone to challenge that. So I do think having a mentor or you know someone down that line is is pretty is a pretty useful thing to do to create create systems to enable you to work at the high level. And I say high level perspective, which is the visionary level, the big picture level. What do you try to achieve and stay away from the events?
2: So. Yeah, that's great advice. I haven't done a, a time audit for a little while, but I feel like that was something I did a couple of years ago. And it, yeah, like you said, it's almost like it brings me back to the the first time you do a food diary as well. Uh, yeah, any any of those sort of self audits can be. You think you you know you're, you're eating well or you, you're, you're prioritizing your tasks well, but when you actually do a true audit on yourself, it's you're gonna find some gaps. You're gonna find those blind spots that you're talking about that you can improve and, and make more efficient and, and put systems in place to make life easier, but or live your purpose, I guess, and what your strengths are for the for the athletes.
0: Well that's right. And if you think if we go back to nearly the start of the conversation and we talked about data and evidence, what what better data can you have than a real deep dive into where you spend your time? You, you need you need that in front of you. And then you say, okay, well, here's where I'm spending the time. Which of those are the highest priority, and how come I'm only spending three minutes on? So, I'll give you. I can give you a more specific example, which I said to you that once I start, I can start thinking. One of the things I do with coaches, and I nearly, I nearly insist on two on two things. If I'm going to walk away it, after uh, being invited in to help coach as part of coach development. One, they have to have a journal. So you need to document what you're thinking and why you're making these decisions. You've got to put down your mental models. I believe we should travel two days out from a game because, and you've got to document it so that when you come back to reflect, you could understand your deep mental, mental model around those decisions. And we don't do it. Every time we have minutes from a meeting, we should put in place the mental models that exist in making some of those decisions. The beliefs that exist, you know, like, uh, but what we do a lot is act and we don't understand the deep reasoning for what we're doing. So when you go back and you review, you need to understand what your reasons were, your deep thinking at that time, unless you journal it, put it down. And if you're going to have a if you're going to have a critical or difficult conversation with someone, you should put down first this is the intent of the conversation. This is what the outcome looks like. Here's how I'm going about it. Then you go and do it. Then you reflect and go, well, I didn't get the outcome I want. So was it the way that I went about it or or what? And then you put it down. And the next time you have a similar conversation, you've got your notes and you know what you've learned, which is action learning. You know, plan, at Collect data, review, replan. So one's a journal. (laughs) So that that is really important. And the other thing I insist with coaches, because they don't do it enough, is you must put in your diary, in your outlook calendar, at least two appointments with yourself to reflect. So at 10 a.m. on Thursday in your calendar is reflection. And you sit down and you lock your door or you go somewhere. And you think deeply about what is it that I'm trying to do and how am I going with it? But most people can't find that time in their diary because it's full of so many other things. But we all know instinctively improvement comes from review and reflection, what you did well and what you did really poorly. And then how are you going to adjust that? So you've got to put some time down. To actually do it, so I insist pretty much on two things: one, a journal, and embed in bed, in your weekly schedule, at two opportunities of about an hour to reflect and review, because that—that's the magic. That's where we can do some of our deep thinking and and aim on improving as coaches. And it probably doesn't happen enough. Something's
2: popping up is like the skill of critical thinking. Both for leaders as well as staff, how have you sort of developed that aspect? I guess of critical thinking, whether yeah, to improve efficiency or effectiveness of, of anything and these sort of systems.
0: Yeah, well, I think I think the thing that's missing in in the batter of critical thinking is reflection and reviewing. That is critical thinking, and unless you reflect and review deeply, you're not even probably in the critical thinking process. So, I think reflection and review is the inherent foundation of critical thinking. Do that, I think you really need to be clear on what it is you're trying to achieve. So, that has so many layers to it. And I'm not, so, so you really need to have, look, this, this is what I'm trying to do there. Then, the next step in critical thinking is what are the measures of success? Like what? What actually is the measure of success that that I'm trying to achieve? Not not I, I want to have a player run faster. How fast? By when? At what velocity? So it's not I want him to be quicker. I, I want this. Then once you have the measures of success, you've got to have your plan to get there. Then you collect the evidence of how's it going against that measure of success. And if it's not going quite as you plan, then you've got to reflect a review and then make an alteration. Is the measure of success wrong or not achievable or is my plan wrong? What we tend to do is in footy, this guy's slow. Over to you, Jack. Can you make him quicker? Oh, yeah, I'll take him. And off you go for 10 minutes and you go and do something. Whereas we probably don't think about that deeply enough. And that's not that's critical thinking is, okay. So if the coach says I want these players to be quicker, how do they know they're quicker? Well, what, what, what? you go, I think they're quicker. So I know with Mid Monthouse but I start at West Coast. Um, and I'm, I'm probably not proud of this, but it's how I thought at the time. You know, like we always used to do speed testing. So do the speed testing into the wind, but then do the retest with the wind, and you'll make sure that there's a measure of improvement. You know, like that, but. We know that's neither valid and the right, reliable or really honest, but we have to think about how we going to make them quicker, faster, stronger, more powerful. What does it look like? Or what's the measure of success? And, and that's, I find that the toughest, one, one of the challenges is getting people, it's a bit like, if I go back to travel, I mean, Western Australia's, a, you know, West Coast Eagles and female dockers, they're traveling teams, I have to travel every second week. So we often had a debate, do we travel one day out from a game or two days out from a game? Well, how do you know which is the better? How are we going to measure that? Because if it's a win, we're going to win one day out, we're going to win two days out sometimes. And if it's a loss, same thing. So we go, we'll just see if we win games. So, it can't be that, it simply can't be that because the day you travel one day out, it's your trial, you happen to have two of your best players, and you get beaten. So, yeah. you, you know, I'm that's critical thinking, Jack. It's, it's the formulating part, it's having a plan, having a process, and then reflecting on the process so you can see where success or failure occurred, not just whether it occurred, where it occurred, and that is critical thinking. And going back to the
2: scheduling in your diary, the two reflection pieces, which is something that I've definitely worked on over the last couple of years. I think it's, for me, it's always been easy to set where you want to go, like, you know, what you want in the future, but then reflecting on how things are going. It's sort of always like, what's what am I trying to achieve today? And then resetting and it's a new day rather than reflecting on what's gone in the past and, and refining things and, and getting better with your systems I've like been talking about. So it's, it's definitely resonating what you're saying terms of building that. Those systems-based thinking. When you when you're working with coaches and you're building that out, it, and you you know, is there general advice on when's best in, in your week to do it? Like, is it, if if we're looking at an AFL season week, reflect at the start of the week, maybe on a Monday, and then perhaps at the end of the week on a Friday, and then stick with those days for a long period of time, or was it just a matter of just consistently every fourteen days, as long as you're having two hours of reflective thinking that's going to yeah. put you in good stead.
0: Yeah. Well, I think. I think we would all agree, and probably everyone here has read Atomic Habits by James Clear, it's having consistency and creating a behavior and a habit is going to stick. So your selection of a time in the day of the week should be one that's easy for you and is up front and in your face so you can can do it. So it, it, it can't be something wedged in between lunch and a team meeting because lunch will go too long and then you'll have to prepare for your team meeting. So that's not easy and you're not going to do it. So it has to be in a place in your week where it's penciled in and there's not a lot built around it that will distract you. So so when that is, like, obviously I can't be definitive, but that would be the way that I would think about it. And when... The coaches and other people I work with have done that. They show me their calendar, and then I'll challenge them. And then we stick to it. Off you go, and then after a while, it's a habit. And you just sit down and and you work through. And you have a, a little media agenda. Maybe how am I going with preparing for Jack for Jack's podcast? I reflect on that, and then after the podcast, how did I go in that? I'll never say that again. That that's sort of how how you do it. In my create like a meeting agenda. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And that's,
2: so that probably brings up another point, like how many dot points do you want to spend in that hour? Is it is it like three is probably the right amount for it to be quality or, you know, is it?
0: I, I, guess, I guess I always say, what's your priority? Like what, what? That's why I do like journals because you've got to write down what's, what's my priority at the minute? What's the most pressing thing? And it might be, I'm trying to turn the culture of my club from this to this. Mm. So what do you want it to look like? So you have to, again, I know I'm a bit like a broken record, I want to add a great culture. Well, okay. What's a great culture? Because it's behavior, it's, that's the key to everything. Like it's, it's the behaviors that matter. So what are the behaviors of a great culture? So that's the first point. If you know, I'm using a specific example in your agenda, working out what the behaviours are that you want in a great culture, or I'm really trying to develop great leaders. Okay, what's a great leader? Like, what, what does it look like? So is Carlos Puyol of the Barcelona Football Club, if he's not the world's greatest leader, captain, what does it look like? Or, or you know, wh- whoever. Khaleesi of the Springboks. What are their behaviours that make them great leaders, and that's what you're using to reflect. Okay, then I've done that. So that's my priority. Over here, though, I've got to work out how we move the ball from defense to attack. So I'm going to do that next because that's a priority. Well, I've got to make these three rookies much stronger. How am I going with that? So to answer your question about the agenda, it's based entirely on priorities, and those priorities are a reflection of what your vision is for what you're trying to do at my Yeah, that's great. Well, so I could to well, hear yeah, yeah. Jack. What's your priority? Like right at the line, then. what 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 is it in the next two or three months you, you really want to get done because they're a priority? Then that's where you're going to spend your time doing your reflection.
2: You can only imagine going through that process. You're going to have pretty intentional questions on on what you need to work on, uh, who you might need to seek, you know, for their yeah. advice and yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that. That's exactly right. So who who am I going to use? Well, I'll be thinking who am I going to use that I trust? Who's going to assess the culture of the team? What's our culture like? I might have to think about who's going to help me. In you know, it, it it's those things. What it's not. What it's not. It's not doing your email, and it's not right. And it's not working out necessarily. Are they going to do? Do I want to do 120 kilos or 110 kilos in the next squat? That's another time that's that's the event stuff this is the big this is the thing where you get the greatest leverage the biggest bang for your butt i said i'm gonna be big on defense am i doing that
2: you know like from the yeah from each reflection how often would you read over your past notes and how far back would you would you look back on is it you look back for a specific like if you're reviewing on how you're going on a particular area you might have a heading for that section, and you look back and read over those specific areas or how do you sort of, yeah, how far back yeah. do you look, I guess?
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, they're, they're great questions and the 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 sense again is what's the priority because your big picture, the thing that matters, and I you know, talk about big rocks, like that's the throwaway line, but the hedgehog principle, which is do one or two or well, three things and do it really well. Like, just be brilliant at these things, whatever it is, culture, leadership, be brilliant at it. They're the things that you've got to keep flicking back on. They're the things that you keep flicking back on. How am I going with the three or four things that really make the biggest difference? And you can't steer too far from that until you have a light bulb moment and say, in fact, I'm abandoning that for these reasons. And now... I'm actually going to work on this. So you can't do that if you're relying sitting in your car and getting an old pilot red lights on the way home. Like you have to put aside time to really do deep and meaningful thinking.
2: And moving back to the like helping football clubs like the South Fremantle team with their was it leadership or culture coaches that are listening in that want your expertise is that. Yeah, coming and speaking to the, the key stakeholders. Is it working with the players? Or is it purely staff? Like, take us through
0: a little bit of yeah. You can... uh, well, it's a it's it's a it's a bit a bit of everything. So, I, I guess the starting point always is behaviours. So, if there's a concern, for the behaviours that are concerning, right? Well, articulate them. Right. What 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 is it you're seeing that is causing you? Then once you see that. I guess that's where my own then I go to my toolbox and go, okay, which tools can I pull out here to help redefine, lead, and guide a different path to address those behaviours? So I can't give you an answer because it might be working with leaders, it might be working with the coaches, it might be working with a coach, it might be working with the general manager. I, I that's the thing. And then the tool decides what is it. So just generally, though, it's, there are three or four fundamental things you need to understand. You need to understand what high-performance sport is, and we've touched on that. You need to understand that the most important mindset that's involved is a choice mindset, not fixed, not growth, but choice. You are a product of your choices, and unless you understand how that choice mindset works... We need you to make wonderful choices and your behaviors will reflect those choices. The third thing probably is to get people to understand the value and importance of receiving feedback and how it is how it is the mechanism to change behaviour. And we should welcome it, embrace it and say, bring it on. So we need to educate the importance of it and then what's the best model? of feedback because there's thousands of models. Go and Google it and you'll get three billion hits in half a second. What's the best model of feedback that will work in this environment that's simple, easy? And and you'll know from my Asker presentation, Jack, I'm really big about making the complex simple. What's simple that we can do? And then if you've got those two or three ingredients, then we can look at how they impact behaviour and that's where we go. And then of course there's all the there's nuances and detail, but that's the general thing. And and to answer your question more specifically, yes, it involves lecturing to a group, presenting those concepts. Or grid work, constructivism, getting them to understand it and create their own meaning for for some theory and then how we're going to apply it in this context and then monitor it and get ready for the feedback on the feedback. So it's sort of a system. Yeah,
2: yeah definitely. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thanks for taking us through those sort of three key areas. The feedback one was interesting in terms of different feedback models. Is that something you would advise? I think with this playing group, you know, they, they're a younger playing group, this, this and that, I think this type of model is going to be really effective for you and perhaps you, you're relying on this style a little bit too much with your education or whatever whatever it might be. Is it, Or is it? Is it not that simple, I guess, when...
0: Oh, no, no, uh, I, think, I, think, I think that's it. I think you've nailed it. it it's depending on the group and the context. I mean, if you're dealing with an experienced elite sporting team, they should be generating self-feedback. So the model is, why aren't you relying or waiting on someone else to give feedback when you should be doing it amongst yourselves? So before even the coach needs to say something, they've already understood that they've made some great choices or poor choices because remember... Feedback's always not feedback's not always about being critical. We should be rewarding positive behaviour all the time. Like that's got to be part of the feedback loop, the feedback model. You have that model, and then down, much down with younger kids, you have you have a slightly different model, and your feedback can't be when I first started in football. You know, the finger in the chest and. You're dropping the f bomb every ten, 10 words. I mean that just doesn't work. So you are right, Jack. It's it's the context, and the and the, the right model for how how it should work. And
2: when you work with the players, like the leaders for, for those footballers listening in, that are pretty eager to improve their ability to give feedback, both positive and and critical feedback to their peers, and get more comfortable, I guess, with doing that. What what are some sort of common tips and tricks for yeah for footballers to improve their teammates, I guess?
0: Well, the first thing is you you are giving feedback on behaviour. You're not giving feedback on the person. So we need to understand that feedback is about a behaviour. It's not about you as an individual per se. I'm just going to comment on your behaviour. So if we all understand that, that's, that's a great starting point. Then the next thing and the really critical piece is... When we see that behavior, is being able to articulate really clearly the impact that behavior is having. So I could say to you, when you speak to me like this, so that's the behavior, your tone, your at, a, at your your tone and your words to me, this is the impact it has on me. You'll find it very hard to argue with that because it's the impact on me. <laughs> you know? what well, how can you argue how I feel? So if we can articulate really clearly what's the behavior and what's the impact, then that leads to the third step. How between us can we make an alteration to the behavior? When you're late, when you're late to meetings, we run over time and we can't do the next thing. That's the impact. So what are we going to do? How can I help you be on time? Up to your place and pick up, Why? Like, it's those sort of three steps. Then, then you build the way you are you going to do that? But that's really what we're after. Behaviour, yeah. in solution. But that's it. And I don't know, maybe, I might be naive, in chat, but go, let's make things a little simple, but let's make it about behaviour, not the person.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. I think we could speak on this for hours. I'm mindful of your time. Glad it has been 60 minutes. Is there anything on, on this topic in terms of system-based thinking that we
0: haven't touched on that you think that we should or that you know, the listeners will, will enjoy? Jack, if I was to sum it up, what's it all about? I think that's probably the, the best thing. What, what we try and do with coaching and what we try and do with critical thinking is four, four key things. It's actually an acronym. I use acronyms a lot. The acronym is CARDS, C-A-R-D-S. And everything we do is about C for clarity, we, we got, we've got to put in our processes for clarity. The A is for alignment, because once we have clarity, then we need to align everyone involved. And if we're all clear and we're all aligned, it goes a long way to success. The R is for relationships, because when you have great relationships with people, you'll find it easier to attain clarity and alignment. I can talk to you about it, offend you. You're not going to be defensive. I understand where you're coming from. You're going to understand where I'm coming from. We have such a great relationship that we can be open and honest with each other. The D stands for discipline, and that is the discipline to stick to the plan, the discipline to hold people to account, the discipline to reflect and review because you said that's what you would do, the discipline to to be a high-performing athlete. And there's so many realms of it. So clarity, alignment, relationships, and discipline. And then the S is the thing that ties it all together, which is systems. If we can have systems that enable us to create clarity, alignment, build relationships, and have strong discipline, we're going to go a long way. Everything we try and do is, is around cards. And I'll go out on a limb. And I don't have the evidence or data other than experience and what I read and what I hear. But I don't believe there wouldn't be a team that's imploded or a coach that's been sacked has all of those five. Every time one of those pieces is missing, it's the it's the the ingredient that sees the downfall. And Sir Alex Ferguson said, Once you say goodbye to high standards, you say goodbye to the team. And it, it's holding people to those standards of, you know, that we just talked about. Okay, oh, oh,
2: Great way to wrap it up with an acronym. Love well, that. <laughs> and a quote of Sir Alice Ferguson. That's, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. Yeah, personally, there's the three pages of notes there. No doubt the listeners have got just as much as well. So for those listening in, if you've only tuned in halfway through, make sure you listen to the very start. Three questions to wrap it up. In your work life, do you have pet peeves? Anything that makes you angry from an industry perspective or you I don't know you have to work
0: i don't know that angry is the word oh, i think wistful disappointed frustrated rather than anger oh, I, I think um one one you'll be exposed to in fact all your coaches will is what i call a three kilometer expert which means that the people you're working with always believe there's an expert that's better than you down the road more than three kilometers away So why aren't you doing, in your case, why aren't you you doing what Collingwood's doing? Why aren't you doing what the Los Angeles Chargers are doing? We should get in this Pilates instructor. Uh, What about boxing? I've heard boxing's really good. That's the three-kilometer expert, and we don't put enough value on our own expertise and knowledge. I find that a bit frustrating. I, I get really frustrated when we don't have a clear, aligned definition of fitness. What in the hell when someone says to me the team's not fit, I I go, Yep, what do we got here? Like, what is it? Explain to me what it is. And then often it falls back to me whether they outscore their team in the last quarter. Well that drives me nuts, mate. Because I could pull I'll pull out GPS data until the cows come home and show it done more high-speed running, more table distance, did We've it, been did it outscored by six points. Oh, that means we're not fit. So I really would like to have a real clear definition of fitness and then success measures, and you've heard me talk about it. So when we start debating something, we've got to be really clear, and I find it a bit frustrating. One of my pet pains is that we can't actually agree we don't have to agree, but we can't align on what the measure of success is for while we're doing something. So I, I, I can pull those up pretty quickly, mate, because I, I've spent I've spent a lot of time working through those frustrations.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think every S and C would resonate with those. I mean, yeah, it is the one that you do feel in, in football. If you if you start well, oh yeah, the preparation's been really good, and then if you finish you finish strong, oh yeah, they're fit.
0: Oh yeah, oh, well, yeah, you're getting better. Actually, if you get beaten in the first quarter, we've got to redo the Uh, warm up. If we keep getting out tackled, we've got to bring in wrestling and grappling coaches. Or in professional sport, we spend 24 7 with your teammates. Well, we better go and have a camp and bond. And I think, geez, they sit next to each other every day. Well, their mental levels that people have. Around, around things, you know so when you deal with people the introduction, this is what we what we've got, which is great that's why critical thinking is important. understand people
2: so, and what about our favorite way to spend a day off?
0: I'm a, a an avid traveler so if I could have a few days off I'll travel. I, I love travel it's really it's really intellectually developing for people I, I find. Oh, I have a great set of mates and there's nothing better i don't think and going somewhere with with my friends that were telling me how how poor i am over a number of beers and having having a bite i really i really enjoy that and then i'm a bit of a avid reader and i'm not adverse to really left field tv shows and movies so i probably put all that in there some good ones there recharge the batteries so
2: yeah having a beer social movies and yeah getting out out and about on holidays. like that. We're obviously recording this in late January of 2024. What's on the horizon for the rest of the year, mate? What are you most excited about?
0: Well, I rattled the can and found every cent I could in my car and lying around the house, I'm going to the Olympics because it is an exercise in cost. It's, It's taken a bit to get there, but I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm going to the nine or 10 nights of the track and field finals in Paris. So obviously I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to that. Jack, I went to the 2000 Olympics and I just thought it was incredible. I've been to the last two world championships in track and field. Budapest this year and Oregon last year. So even though I love footy, I mean, track and field is still a passion. And then I think the other thing I'm looking forward to is I've got a couple of really good coaches and good teams that i am been asked to help, and I, I really want uh, to see that I can be genuine in, in really helping them, and I enjoy that. I like getting to the Eastern Seaboard and getting immersed in some other sports and coaches, and, and I really want to see if I can make a difference to, to their joy and success in their coaching and, and with their team. So
2: I look forward to that as well. Yeah, perfect way to... Probably follow on the, the question for those that have any questions for you. Glenn, his podcast, or perhaps they, they'd like to bring you on as a, as a mentor or, or consult the, the club that they
0: work at. What's the best place to, to get in contact? Uh, that's a bit of a I don't need it. I <laughs> it's <stopping. laughs> Thanks, Jack. Oh, the, the best way. I don't, yeah, I, don't have, I don't have a slashing media platform or anything like that. I'm not skilled in that area. I don't understand it. So I can't direct you anywhere other than my own email address, which is really easy, which is glen at glenn at au. glenn at glennstuart.com.au. And a couple of people, the only thing I do have is I'm on LinkedIn and a couple of people have reached out via LinkedIn. But that's that's about it. Or I can say to them, go via you, mate, and we'll add you as as the go-between.
2: The conduit, happy to be happy to do it and uh yeah for those
0: like that get yeah, your virtual assistant on to it
2: yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah the for for those that might be driving and i listen to a lot of my podcasts per, the personal ones i never listened to these twice but other podcasts uh, while driving don't sweat i will don't need to park the car I'll add glenn's email in the show notes as well as the linkedin link so you, when you do parking easily access that information well Thanks again. Glad really appreciate your time and sharing with us your experiences in elite sport for yeah for thirty years there. So there's obviously a wealth of, of experience that you can touch on and uh, really get us thinking a bit more critically and bring that systems based approach into what we do. Whether whether you're a footballer, a, a parent maybe of a young footballer, uh, a coach, uh, and of course the, the high performance staff listening in. On behalf of everyone. Thank you. And, and thank you for all that tuned in. Make sure to listen to the whole episode. We'll release this on our podcast in a couple of weeks, but you can find it on our YouTube channel in the meantime. And our next live chat is with Peter Birch, who's the head of performance at Hawthorne Football Club, which would be on 8th of February at 8.30 p.m., so a bit of a later one, Australian Standard Time. So I look forward to seeing you all then.
0: Jack. Thanks again, Glenn. Before you go, make sure you ask Peter Birch about his long jump career.
1: If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such a QA and a segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian, of the Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up?
4: Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is... Um it'll be topical for most people i think but staying in your lane and i yep. often find that with nutrition everyone eats so everyone has an opinion and i think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game
3: changes, we feel yeah, like a- game change.
4: changes whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength and conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks.
2: Welcome Rama to the
1: chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at,
2: at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man that. Uh, in the
1: strength and conditioning department. So I'll hand it over to you, Rama, to, to ask your question, mate. Thanks for joining us.
3: Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that, um you wish you either knew or did um back at the beginning of your career
5: Uh, what are some of those things Mm, yeah good question um yeah so i suppose with perspective on life um that sort of point um it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and and didn't probably have that as much um, when i was younger um i suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day, just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things, and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football, or you know, maybe whatever. As an SNC coach, you know, if something's you having a hard time. Um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm-hmm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear Fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have a lot quicker. Um, And yeah, yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things um, because you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off.
1: And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it would be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.